Welcome and thank you for joining Save Our Sisters Unplugged. If you're looking for a sisterhood of intelligent women to network with, then this is a podcast for you. We'll be letting our hair down and spilling all the tea on an array of topics and gain insight into what women really think. My name is Noreen Foy and I'll be your host. Now let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Save Our Sisters Unplugged podcast. Today's guest is a wife and mother, actress, and motivational speaker. She is my sister in empowerment on a mission to help people find their purpose through their pain. Changing lives one mindset at a time, it is my pleasure to introduce Mrs. Nancy Spano. Welcome, girlie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, so happy to be here. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad that you reached out on Clubhouse. Uh, Clubhouse is such an amazing way to meet like-minded women. Incredible. I've met so many wonderful, wonderful people on Clubhouse and connected with just wonderful, smart individuals like yourself. Yes, thank you. Well, we have a lot to cover, so we're going to go ahead and get into your story of trauma to triumph. Let's take it all the way back to the beginning. We're going back in your past. What was your childhood like? So um, years ago, I guess, unfortunately, I don't remember, or I should say fortunately, um, I was abused by an uncle and um, I didn't recognize the abuse until later on in my teens. Um, And one of the things that came up for me as an adult is I would speak to women and they would say, oh, you know, I went away to Italy when I was five and I had this big trip with my family when I was seven. And I was like, I don't remember any of my childhood. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought about it until that conversation came up and someone said to me, well, how far back do you remember? And I was like, well, you know, I remember things at like maybe 11 or 12, but not under 10 years old. Okay. And I guess, I guess I did some researching on my own and I found out that a lot of times, not so much women, but people in general, when that happens, um, it's because they're suppressing, you know, some kind right. of trauma that happened in their childhood. Um, so it really rose to the surface when I was about 19. Um, I was in a therapeutic program and I was sitting in a group of women that all had similar stories. And I was really connecting with um, some women that were talking about abuse that they suffered as a child. And being a very empathetic woman, I was very upset about it, but to the point where it was almost too upset. And one of the counselors had reached out to me and said, you know, what really triggered for you when, you know, Michelle was talking? And I was like, I don't know. It just like, it just hit me so hard um, when she talked about the abuse from her father or her uncle or her brother, whomever. And, and that sort of like, raised the red flag for me. Mm-hmm. And I started really doing some soul searching from there and found out um, that I, I also was abused. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. 
How did you react? Like, what was your first thoughts when you found that out? Um, so I think a lot of it was disbelief, um, shock, a lot of anger, um, a lot of pain, a lot of crying. Um, and I think I still, to this day, feel that my childhood was taken from me because unfortunately due to that type of situation and that upbringing, um, it causes a young child to suffer with low self-esteem, feel helpless, hopeless. Um, and I guess I, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, I know it did. I didn't have any confidence and I, I suffered really, really bad with, um, chronic depression. And I would be teased by my brothers because, you know, oh, you're going to therapy. Oh, you're going to sit on the couch. Oh, you're couch potato. You know, go talk to the crazy man. And they didn't understand. They didn't understand. And, and I think when I was going through that before about 18 or 19, I didn't understand why I was suffering with such chronic depression also. So it was sort of a gift to find out why, but it didn't really make it any better. Um, Did they tie your sexual abuse to your depression? Yes. Okay. So um, I think, you know, I don't, I don't remember a lot. I actually don't really remember anything. Um, I mean, there were certain situations that were inappropriate for a child with her uncle, but nothing that you would say like, oh my God, you know, that was the time. Mm -hmm. um, she was really my caretaker from a very young age because my father would work at night. My mother worked during the day. So my uncle was sort of the in-between. Mm -hmm. Kind of like and, stepped in to help. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just remember some really inappropriate situations with him. And um, I don't know, I just, my, my whole childhood was very, very dark, um, just a very unhappy, unhappy right. place. Well, I was glad that you were able to, through therapy, you know, put those pieces together. So Absolutely. When, you, when you found out that you were abused, did you go back to your parents and, and let them know what you'd learned? So about 19 years old, um, again, I was in a, like a therapeutic program from nine to five in group therapy because I was so depressed and never thinking when I entered that type of therapy that anything like this would come out. Um, my mother, I believe had dropped me off one day and, or maybe she had picked me up. I don't remember. And that was like the, the peak and the time that I found out really why I was suffering so hard. And, um, so she was there and she, you know, she heard from myself just mm -hmm. after getting out of group therapy, finally, why I suffered so hard. And um, we came to the conclusion together that um, that was my uncle. Was she pissed? She, um, I think she would have been more angry. Not that she wasn't angry, but I think she would have been more angry if he was still alive. He had passed when I was 15. Oh, okay. Okay. So... It was like, you know, what can you what, do at that point? What can you do? 
um, for his sake, it was probably best. Right. And what did um, your dad think? My dad never knew. Oh, you guys didn't tell him. Was that intentional you didn't tell him? Yeah, that was his younger brother. You think he would have believed you? Absolutely. Um, I think he would have believed me. I, I think it just would have been more detrimental to my dad's, the rest of my dad's life because my uncle had passed. So I felt anyway to give him that baggage was not fair right. to. And if my uncle was alive, it probably wouldn't be a good idea because he would have killed them. Oh, wow. But, you know, the good thing about this whole thing is that if your uncle were alive, your parents would have been on your side because I've seen situations where the parents don't believe the child. And yes. until much later, and then they realize or they do a little more digging and they find out that it was in fact true, but the damage has been done. Once you don't believe the child, the damage is done between the parent and the child. So I'm so right. glad that you would have had your parents' support with that. Absolutely. And that's that's unfortunate for the child because I can't imagine a child bringing up something so horrific and making it a lie. Yeah. You know, I mean, it. I mean, there are people that don't believe their children, you know, <laughs> that is part of my story. Um, there are people that don't believe their children. And um, it's unfortunate because, you know, once that bond is broken, it is very hard to get that back. You right. Know? Right. So, I empathize, sympathize with you. I, I, I can't imagine coming to my mom, especially, and discussing what I knew and her looking at me like I was making up a story. That's, that's awful. Yeah, it is very awful. So when you found out in your therapy session, did they continue to help you through that? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think. I think I had about six weeks of therapy. Um, and yeah, we really worked through some, some ugly stuff. Um, and even after that, again, I, I just turned 50. And, you know, it's an ongoing process. Um, working through it sometimes... Sometimes I get stuck in that space and it gets really ugly and dark. Um, a lot of things have, yeah, a lot of things have happened um, through that, that I've become stronger and more mature. Um, and I know that, you know, I was an innocent child and unfortunately there was nothing I could do. Um, and to this day, like I said, I know there was a lot of inappropriateness going on when it comes to, down to details. I don't remember anything. Wow. You know, I'm just so happy that you were able to do that healing work to really work through that because some people don't come back from that at all. So that they bring your parents yeah. in so that you guys can have therapy together. Uh, so my mom was really a big part of my therapy. Um, again, we kept it from my father because um, he, his anger could go from zero to 60 pretty right. quick. And it it just wouldn't it would have it wouldn't benefit any of us. Um, and it's funny because my mom and I never spoke like you know let's not tell dad. It was just like an underlying mm -hmm. message like we're just gonna we're gonna deal with this together. Yeah, um, like he's gone. We'll deal with it. We'll help you through it. Right. 
Right. Have you now sometimes when these things happen, you're not the only victim, unfortunately. Did you ever learn of anyone else that was molested by him or sexually assaulted by him? No. Um, so we lived in a home, um, a very large home. Um, so the bottom floor was like the community floor where it was like the kitchen, the dining room, living room. The middle floor was my bedroom, my grandmother's bedroom, and my uncle's bedroom. And the top floor was my parents' bedroom and my brother's bedroom. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why my bedroom was, I was the baby. I had two older brothers and they were upstairs with my parents, which to me, I would think the opposite that the older boys would be in the middle floor and the baby meeting me would be upstairs, but right. it wasn't, it wasn't that way. And, um, you know, growing up, my uncle, I mean, when he passed, I, I really had a breakdown and that was the other thing. I was 15 when he passed. And even as much as truly think I had a nervous breakdown and I, I kept asking myself, why am I so like, Yes, he's my uncle, but I reacted as if, like, my husband was killed. Mm -hmm. It hit your heart. Yeah. And then you'd go back and forth between, but wait a minute. Now, at 15, I didn't really know about it. But when I found out about it, I was like, why did I react so severely to my uncle's passing when I knew how he had hurt me? Hmm, that's interesting. And I, I still to this day, I get angry with myself because I say, he hurt you. Like, why would you feel so deeply for his passing when you know what this man did to you? Or actually, I don't, but yeah. So that's a, that's an internal struggle. Yeah, but then, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he's still your uncle. Before before he misbehaved, he was a loving uncle towards you. He was trying to help your parents out. You probably had a great relationship True. before then, did you? We did. So, you know, you're still going to, I mean, a, a person has lost their life. It's still a sad situation, whether they misbehaved in their life or not. So hopefully you would be able to tackle those feelings, you know. And as you get older, you'll be able to package them differently. So let's segue for a minute. Um, and I know that was a tough point in your life. But we also talked about some of your health issues and your stroke was one of them. So walk us through what happened when you were in that moment. So um, living very unhappy for a long time. Um, I did meet my husband and I... I got married. I had kids. And not that I wasn't happy. I was happy. Um, but I didn't really know what happiness was actually until I had a stroke. Oh, wow. And like I say, I, this sounds awful, but I was just surviving and now I'm living. Mm -hmm. So um, I was put on a medication that raised my blood pressure to, um, 200 over 110 and uh I suffered a stroke and a seizure and I knew that I was so close to the other side I was so close to death and it was just it was just in that moment that I felt that God could have either chose 
to keep me here or to take me. And I'm still here. Mm -hmm. And um, so at the, I guess the word is pinnacle point of my stroke where I was in the ambulance and I just felt the energy shift with the paramedics. Like, you know, this is really bad. Um, It was at that time, instead of feeling anxious and scared and panicking, I was just peaceful. And I don't want to say I saw a bright light because I didn't see a bright light, but it was just a peaceful, calming feeling come over me. And and it was in that moment that my father, who was deceased, had come from behind me and she he held my shoulders and he whispered and he said, it's all going to be okay. Mm, that's amazing. And... And it was in that moment that I really turned the switch from just surviving to really living. Right. Did you know any signs of the stroke? Like when you were going through it, did you know it was a stroke? Um, So being that my mom is a nurse, um, I learned a lot medically and I knew, I knew some signs and symptoms. And about a week before my stroke, I had lost peripheral vision in my right eye. And I knew that that was not a good thing. Um, But I also suffer with thyroid disease. And sometimes when my thyroid levels fluctuate, things can happen. So I I just fluffed it off to, oh, it's probably my thyroid levels. Right. Well, it wasn't. I I remember being in the car with my young girls and trying to back out of a parking spot. And I couldn't see out of my right eye peripherally for the curb. So I would like over exaggerate the, you know, the backing out. So I didn't hit the curb. And I remember feeling like, wow, that was weird. Like I've never had to do that before. Yeah. Um, so that, that was like a red flag. And then, um, the, actually the day of my stroke, I, uh, my husband and I were arguing, which we don't do a lot. And, um, so he took the girls for the day and I was thinking of vacuuming, cleaning up, and I couldn't remember how to vacuum. Oh, wow. And then long story short, I ended up going grocery shopping and I was standing in the middle of the grocery store and I didn't know where anything was. I couldn't find anything. I was running up and down the aisles panicking because I had been there so many times before, but I couldn't find coffee. I couldn't find pasta. I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. And I actually left there, went to another grocery store thinking that I would maybe do better. And I didn't. And then I got home and um, I had a really hard time recognizing where everything was supposed to go. Um, and then something just told me to get in touch with my husband who was upstairs. And by the time I had gone upstairs, my right arm was dead weight. And then my right leg had given out and I had a stroke. And then while I was on the bed having a stroke, I also had a seizure. Oh my goodness. You had a rough night. Yeah, that was a rough night. Um, yeah. And then I was in the hospital for about five days and they were trying to figure out, you know, do I, am I just suffering with high blood pressure? Where did this come from? And um, so I was on a medication called Faxor, which um, is given to women 
who will deal with menopause because it helps with hot flashes. Okay. But it says that it may cause severe hypertension. And unfortunately, it did. It did. So that was um, the culprit. That was the culprit. And nobody really figured it out until I got home after the hospital. I was on the phone with a girlfriend and she's like, I don't understand what, like, you take your thyroid meds, you know, you take your vitamins. Like, what could it be? Is there something different in your life? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, the only thing I'm on different is this drunk cold effects her. And she's like, you need to go look that up. And when I looked it up, it said may cause severe hypertension. Oh, my goodness. And so you took that back to your doctor's? And what did they I, say? I called my neurologist and I was like, listen, I never suffered with hypertension ever in my life. I just suffered with it in this block of time on this medication. It has to be from, from this man. So a lot of them tried to tell me that it was just a coincidence, but I haven't been on that drug in over three years and I have no problems with my blood pressure. Wow. So that truly was what it was. So you're not struggling with any deficiencies since your stroke? So um, just recently in March, um, since my youngest was born, she's 12 now, but um, I was always considered high risk for breast cancer. And in March, I went in um, with a spot that was suspicious on my right breast and um, it ended up being malignant. So March, I was diagnosed, and in May, I had a bilateral mastectomy. Oh, wow. And um, that's pretty close. It is. It is close. Um, And, you know, I think, like I, I tell family and friends, that my stroke was such a blessing because, first of all, I feel when you come so close to the other side, you really get a grasp on how fragile life really is because from one moment to the next, it can be taken. Exactly. And and because it wasn't taken, um, when I got the diagnosis of breast cancer, my mindset was, this is a piece of cake. I can do this. Like I got this. And I remember calling my husband and saying, you know, the spot that, that I found is malignant. And he of course was shocked and And my attitude from the beginning was just, you know, I got this. This is no big deal. Like breast cancer, no big deal. And I have to say that that mindset has been huge and it really has brought me through to today. And I I just feel so um, resilient and um, just ready to conquer. I'm telling you. Um, Whatever else. You have been through a lot in your life. I mean, from sexual abuse to stroke to having breast cancer. You know, your family, how did they react to all of this? So it's actually brought us closer together. Um, You know, I, I can't speak enough about the stroke. I always say my stroke was that that golden package with the red ribbon and it was in the corner of the room where all of my life and it wasn't until that moment that I opened that package because it's always been a gift I just chose to not see it and I I opened it 
the afternoon of that stroke. And it has brought my family so close together. My marriage has been, it was always good, but it's made it so much better. Um, it's a lot for my kids because they witnessed it. They witnessed the stroke. Um, they witnessed the ambulance and the police cars and the commotion. And right. that was really hard. We all went to therapy for that so they could talk about how they felt when mommy was this sick. And Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I guess, yeah, there's a little bit of fear because I try to put myself in their shoes. You know, if I witnessed that with my mother, how would I feel? For sure. And um, they definitely watch out for me a lot more um, than they used to, but that's okay. <laughs> well, hey, they're supposed to look out for mama anyway. Right. So how how soon um, did you get your cancer diagnosis um, after the stroke? So the stroke was uh, June 2nd, 2019. And the cancer diagnosis was this past March, 2022. Okay. So there was some significant time in between. Wow. When you had the stroke, uh, what was the biggest challenge in recovering from that? Um, I think the biggest challenge was my emotional and my mental state of mind. Um, even though I knew deep down in my heart that the specific trigger was that medication, mm-hmm. I um, I was scared that what if it wasn't the medication? What if for some reason it wasn't the medication and I have another stroke? Right. Right. There's something else still out there triggering it. Yeah. Um, I could see how you could be freaked out by that whole thing. Yeah. You know, for a while I would take my blood pressure and I'd be like, okay, it's good. Okay, it's good. Um, So that was really hard. Um, My peripheral vision, I want to say, came back 99%. It never came. It never came back 100. And um, the week that I was in the hospital... I felt like it was slowly coming back mm-hmm. as the days went by. Um, I do have some issues with, like, I can't think of the word, um, trying to find my words. Um, like if I'm explaining something in detail to somebody and they say, you know, where did you go? What did you do? You know, on your vacation or whatever. And sometimes it's hard to, like, if I want to say like, oh yeah, we went to dinner at that restaurant. Like I can see the word that I'm trying to say, but I can't say it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I was told that because the stroke physically affected the right side of my body, I guess in my brain, it affected the left side. Right, right. Which I've looked is like your creative thoughts. Cognitive um, thinking. Yeah, things like that. So so, you know, I, I don't, I don't let it keep me back, hold me back. And a lot of people that I talk to, if I can't find my word or whatever, they know that I suffered a stroke. So, you know, they, they have patience. They give you yeah. grace. Yeah. Well, that's good. And I want to say sometimes with your, with cancer diagnosis, um, it is hereditary. Did you have anybody in your family that had had breast cancer before? So, um, my mom's one of five girls and, um, my mother actually for years 
sort of went through the ups and downs like I did. She always had, I guess they called it like dense breasts. So they didn't know if it was something, if it was benign, if it was malignant. So a couple times she had gone in when I was a younger girl um, for a spot that they thought was malignant. It ended up being benign. Um, my grandmother, my father's mother, had breast cancer, but it was a type of breast cancer, and I can never remember the name of it, and it affected in between her breasts. It didn't affect oh. the breast itself. It affected in between, like, her cleavage. And Oh, wow, that's different. Yeah, and she had that. She was diagnosed in her late 60s, and she passed at 73. It immediately went from the, I guess they say the breast, um, to the brain. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And that, that happened fast. Yeah. Yeah. I think she was diagnosed at like 66 or 67, and she passed at 73. I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, and so, so now have your daughters gone and gotten checked? Because my sister, she passed of colon cancer. And so once mm. that happened, I actually went in and got like the BRCA test. So I've got all these different uh, cancer screenings. Have your daughters gone into having yeah, that done yet? So I actually was advised to get all that screening also. And I don't have the gene, which is great. Um, my oldest will be 16. So as soon as she's able to get yearly mammograms and stuff, you know, she'll she'll have to obviously give the doctors a history of, of her mom and, mm-hmm. and she'll be watched closely. Yeah. Her mom and her grandma. Yeah, uh, her her great-grandma. So, okay, so I guess with colon cancer, I guess once you had some history of that, you go early to get the test, like if it's the sibling or a parent. So they don't do the same thing with breast cancer? Not that I know of. Um, I, I don't know. I know that usually women at like 35, 40 start with a mammogram. Um, maybe since my oldest is 16, maybe she could start when she's 30 as opposed to 35. Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that, I think it's different with breast cancer than it is with any other kind of cancer, like, uh, Mm -hmm. colon cancer. So did you have to do chemo and the whole lot? So I chose, my options were, um, a lumpectomy in the right breast and radiation. And I, I didn't want to do radiation because it just, it just seemed awful. Um, so I chose to take a very big step and have a bilateral mastectomy, but I'm grateful I did because when I was in the hospital recovering, my surgeon came to me and said that the pathology came back cancer-free. Oh, amen. Praise God. Wow. That's amazing. So um, they watch me, obviously, and um, for the next five years, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid it came back. But after five years, I'm, I'm good to go. You're good to go. You can live in peace. Yeah. So sweet. Well, yeah. I'm so happy that really that choice that you made just totally turned out to be the best way to go. A lot of people yeah. really go to the chemotherapy. Um, so the, the type of cancer that I have was called uh, ductal carcinoma, um, and it hadn't grown outside of the borders. Mm-hmm. 
and it was behind like the right nipple. So it was sort of contained in its own capsule. Okay. If it had, and I was stage zero. So if I would have been at stage one or two, I believe I would have needed chemo. Okay. Because it would have spread to lymph nodes and... Exactly. Exactly. So how did you distract yourself when you were pretty much, you know, healing from your mastectomy? Because I know it could be a mental mind trip. You know, you can get into your head, you can think the worst, you can think all kinds of things. How did you stay distracted and stay sane? Like, did your faith play a part in that? My faith is everything. Um, again, I have to keep going back to that stroke. It was just, I don't know, it was just such a gift. And it really changed who I was and who I am today. It changed my mindset. Um, it just made me such just a resilient woman as opposed to suffering with depression. It, it, it made me stronger. I just... I just keep pushing forward. I just, you know, I mean, the recovery from a mastectomy was awful. There was nothing pretty about it. I had drains coming out of my breasts. I had drains coming out of my hips. Um, I had a visiting nurse. Um, but it was like every day was a little bit better. It was like, oh, today I can shower. Tomorrow, you know, I can walk. Um you know, the next day I can sleep in the living room as opposed or I can sleep in my bed as opposed to sleeping in the living room because I had to sleep in a recliner. Right. Because I couldn't sleep flat because right. of the pressure of the breast. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just every day was just a tiny little milestone. And, and then the visiting nurse would come and we developed a friendship and we had fun together. We laughed together, even That's though good. we were... Yeah, we were, you know, talking about stitches and, and tape. And, <laughs> and, you know, God forbid I had an infection. So it was just like you didn't really have time to worry. And and when I worried, I had my faith to keep me strong. I think that is so amazing that you did have your faith to keep you strong. So what was your biggest parenting challenge through that recovery Oof. into survivorship? So my biggest challenge was I couldn't drive. And, um, you know, I know like for the elderly, once you lose that independence of driving, it, it really, for me anyway, I couldn't take my kids to school. I couldn't pick them up. I couldn't bring them anywhere. I couldn't go anywhere. And mm -hmm. that was really, really hard. Um, I had to, like you said, I had to give myself grace and say, listen, you know, you're here, you're, you're getting through, you're recovering, you know, give yourself some time. But, you know, I tend to be hard on myself, I'm sure, like the rest yeah. of us. We as mothers, you know, we want to still be able to do those things for our children. Sick, you know, we'll take the sickness with us. You know, us and the sickness are going to go pick the kids up. We're going to take them to cheerleading. We're going to take them to volleyball. You know, we're going to take them to track. We're going to fix some dinner. You know, you still Absolutely. want to be able to function. Yeah. Even though your brain is telling you you should be sitting down somewhere and healing. Absolutely. You're like, but, but who's going to do this? You know, I um. So I learned that they have mastectomy rooms and they're the neatest things. It's it's a robe. And then 
on the inside are two pockets for your drains. Oh. And so when I put my robe on and put my drains in the pockets, you would never know that there was anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, it was like I had my own timeline. I was like, I'm going to make dinner tonight. And my husband would be like, you're standing here in a robe with drains. You can barely like stand up straight because I felt like I had to be hunched over because of the incisions. Right. And I was like, no, I just, I need to prove it to myself that I can make some rice and I can make some chicken and, you know, and I would have to take breaks. Um, but I just, I just kept pushing myself and, yeah. and I, and I think, you know, whether you push yourself physically or, or mentally just a little bit every day, um, I just kept going with it. I'm like, I've got the momentum and. And I healed fantastic, and my surgeons were thrilled. I dropped some weight, and right now I'm actually back to spinning. Um, I haven't really done any kind of exercise since March. Okay. And I'm back to spinning, and I'm back to getting in shape and feeling good. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing that you're back to spinning. So you're going to have the Peloton, and you're going to be on there like, no pain, no gain. Yeah. Yeah, I just took a class today. It was called um, boot camp, and I took this class before, and it was really, really challenging because when your adrenaline is pumping on that bike and you're going so fast, then you have to take your the clips out of the bike, get off, and start lifting weights and doing you know whatever crunches, okay. and then get and then get back on the bike. And start going again. And that was really, like, really challenging for me. And I and I did it. And it actually, a friend of mine whom I became friends with through spinning just came up to me. And she's like, oh, my God, look at you. Yeah. You're doing so fantastic. You're killing yeah. it. So that was really neat. I'm so proud of you. I'm Thank so you. happy that you were able to just really just thrive through that. Some people get into a really deep depression. You know, but you got a clean bill of health, right? You you absolutely cook, you can cook chicken and rice all day long. You you're That's spinning, right. you're doing it. Yeah. So things are turning around for you. So with all that you went through, Nancy, how did you find your purpose through your pain? So uh, you know, I find that people that are so close to their faith, I I truly believe in the divine and um I guess last October, before my cancer diagnosis, um, I was on Instagram and a friend of mine, well, he, he's a friend of mine now, but he wasn't a friend of mine at the time. And his name is Marcus Black. And he was doing a live on Instagram. And so himself and Ashley Fay, who have really just developed a movement, I have to say it's a movement um, called Embrace Your Ambition. Um, so I got on a live on Instagram with Marcus and one thing led to another and they were starting this, their very first class and I was part of their class and it was all for embracing your ambition. And it could be about entrepreneurs, it could be about speakers, it could be about sales, whatever your ambition happened to be. Mm -hmm. And after my stroke, I'd had found a passion, which I call 
because I was such an unhappy young person, I always wanted to act. I was always admired the drama club, but I never felt good enough um, to join. So after my stroke was like the perfect timing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do some acting. Mm-hmm. And I did, I did some fantastic acting with wonderful, wonderful actors. And mm-hmm. I loved it. And um, of course, due to my health, I can't get vaccinated. And with any kind of um, movie sets, it's mandatory that you're vaccinated. So okay. I, I sort of felt, not that I sort of felt, I was very angry. Um, as much as I have a faith, I was just really angry with God. And I was like, you know what? You brought me through all this. I found my passion in acting. And now because of the COVID vaccine, I'm at a dead end. I can't act. Right. And again, yet again, I pushed forward and I just kept pushing and I just kept talking to God and just saying, I know you have a better plan for me because this can't be it. Mm-hmm. And it was within that that evening that I spoke to Marcus Black and I became a part of Embrace Your Ambition. And it was through that that I found my purpose. And that is to speak and to share my story with wonderful people like you. And um, and I, I plan on being on stages and, and touching hearts. And, I, you know, I want people to come into the auditorium and not that I want them to feel hopeless and helpless, but I want them to walk away feeling so much better than mm-hmm. they did when they came in because of my story. Right. Yeah. You want them to leave uh, fulfilled and absolutely informed and empowered. Absolutely. I agree. I think it is amazing that you are telling your story. And this is one of the reasons why I created this platform is for women to share their stories because we go through so much as women, right? And we just, we stuff it down. We don't tell anyone. We just go through our day, you know, and we just put all our our problems in a sack, throw it over our back, and we continue on in our day. And we don't really express what we're really truly going through. Somebody asks you, hey, how are you doing? You say, oh, I'm okay, but you're not, you know, you're not okay. And so... I love that you just want to share this with the world because, I mean, you've been through a lot. You've been through a lot that would take down a lot of women at any age, at any age. I mean, you've had some life and death things that have happened, or these events that have happened to you, and you survived and you thrived through it all and you live to tell. So, yeah, share that story, you know, shout it from the rooftops. You know, I think that... um. It's it's amazing what you're doing and the opportunity that you got with Marcus Black. You know, I think that's just amazing. So before we close, Nancy, what advice do you have for women who have been through extensive trauma and they want to turn their trauma to triumph? Yeah, I, um, so this is hopefully one of the segments that I'll have when I'm speaking on those huge stages um, <laughs> is all about your mindset. It really is, you know, I always think of like a young baby when they're learning how to walk, they get up, they fall, they get up, they fall, they, you know, they, they teeter totter on the table and they, you know, they bump their chin because they fall. Mm -hmm. They don't stop. They don't just sit there and cry and say, oh, I guess I'll never walk. It's within them that they just get up and they keep going and 
you know, I feel like we lose that as adults because, you know, whether you want to play volleyball or gymnastics or ride a horse, as adults, when we fall off or we get hurt, sometimes anyway, we stop. Yeah. And the only thing that bridges the gap between falling off and not doing well and falling off and getting back on is our mindset. Absolutely. I agree. Oh, if you, if you can, you know, another analogy, and I'm a very visual person, you know, you get up in the morning, you're making your bed, you stub your toe at the edge of the bed, you know, you see stars, you may, you know, <laughs> curse a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's some cursing. Um, but, you know, and, and I'm guilty of this years ago, that would have ruined my day. I would have gotten angry. My toe hurts. Maybe it's bleeding. Now I'm late for work. Now my whole day is ruined. You have to sort of get out of that. Like, I always say, like, you can go to the pity party, but you can't stay. Right. And, right. and really feel that physical, physical is one thing. You can always, you know, build up muscles and things like that. But if your mindset is not strong and positive and resilient and pushing forward and just keep pushing you're going to stay at that pity party too long. And then even as uncomfortable as it may be, it's all you know, and it unfortunately gets comfortable. And then nobody pushes forward. So I would say for whatever it is, um, divorce, cancer, death, you know, alcohol, drugs, whatever, it's always with you. You know, like, like I always think of Dorothy, the witch said, you've always had the power it's always been with you you just you just didn't use it and we all have that power and it's our mindset yeah I agree you know I I didn't realize that part about (laughs) Dorothy (laughs) right (laughs) but it makes sense you have to really adjust your mindset and yeah stop toe would definitely ruin my whole day that's for sure yeah. Um, but yeah, you definitely have to just get out of it, you know, stub your toe, you take care of it, put a shoe on, maybe you, maybe not close toe shoes anymore, maybe open right. toe at this point. Flip flops. <laughs> exactly. And you just keep on pushing, you know, like yes. you said, your analogy with the baby, the babies just, they, they get up, They the babies are very resilient. And yeah. so are we as women. And I really like your message to the women. I think that is really amazing. Yeah. Thank you. So, Nancy, where can people find you on your social handles? So, my Facebook is actually, um, it's Nancy Lavatovic Spano. Um, the middle name is pretty hard, but I think if you put in Spano, my maiden name will come up. I'm not sure why I used my maiden name on Facebook, but I did. Um, and then on Instagram, it's just Nancy Spano. Okay. Um, okay. So, they, they can find me there and... Um, and I will be out and about speaking very soon. Yeah, you speak on, you, you know, you'll be speaking pretty soon. They'll come and, and get you. They'll probably hear you in Clubhouse like I did. Absolutely. You know, and then God is, you up. we're manifesting God is that. going, I am manifesting that. I am, I am linking into my faith. And um, the other thing is, that I found through this whole process, which is really hard because when you're in that mindset of like, oh, this sucks, um, I, you know, I hurt my toe or um, I don't feel well and I still have to go to work 
and you just get in that yuck, you have to find that little tiny thing to be grateful for. Yeah. And I've, and I've found for myself, when I don't want to get out of bed, I say, you know what? I'm grateful that, first of all, I have a beautiful home with a roof over my head. And that I can go into a kitchen and get hot coffee. And then, you know, my little routine in the morning is I just empty the dishwasher. And then I just put the clothes in the washing machine. And then I start to feel accomplished. And then I look around and it sort of changes my energy. And it changes my my vibration. And I start to feel grateful. I start to feel accomplished. I start to feel all the positive things. and all that negative energy that I woke up with is gone. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was the other little tidbit is to, and sometimes as hard as it is sometimes to not get out of bed, because I know it is for me, is to find one tiny little thing that you can be grateful for. And that catches the momentum. And, and then before you know it, sometimes your day ends a lot better than you thought. Sage advice, Nancy. I really love it. I really love it. Well, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And I would like to thank you for our time today. I'm thank so glad you. that you've reached out. Yeah. You're doing thank a lot you. of things and, you know, you're just going to be a mover and a shaker and they need to look out for you. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And you've been through a lot, but I am so glad that you thrived through your struggles. You know, like we said, from trauma to triumph. And you so, are so the epitome of a triumphant person. So women everywhere are going to be truly inspired because you had these three life events that could have taken you down. It could have took your soul, could have took your spirit, could have took your life. But you just hear, you know, you hear, you don't look like you've been through anything. You look amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Peace and blessings. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for joining this episode of the Save Our Sisters Unplugged podcast. Hopefully you found it to be inspiring and you've received great information you can use in your daily life. If you've enjoyed this episode, please show your sis some love by subscribing on Anchor, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please don't forget to rate and review. We're on Instagram at SaveOurSisters underscore 2020 and check out our YouTube page. If you would like to continue the conversation, join our Save Our Sisters group on Facebook. Until next time, sis, and remember to love yourself.